0: This episode is sponsored by a donor to Global Wellness Institute, or GWI. GWI is a 501 C3 nonprofit organization with a mission to empower wellness worldwide by educating the public and private sectors about preventative health and wellness. GWI's research, programs, and initiatives have been instrumental in the growth of the 4.5 trillion US dollar wellness economy and in uniting the health and wellness industries. Visit globalwellnessinstitute.org. In this episode, we have Danny McCrum. Danny was drawn to music at a very young age, as it was an outlet for him to be seen and heard since he struggled with dyslexia while in school. He found a great home as a songwriter. He has dabbled on the business side with equal fervor as playing guitar, singing, and writing. He has toured with leading artists such as Eric Clapton and Simple Minds as a supporting musician. He has released four albums of his own thus far across an eclectic scope of musical styles and a wide range of instruments. Danny, great to have you on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I love what the podcast is about. That's very kind.
2: I appreciate you saying that. uh, And thank you for having a listen. Uh, I really love what your podcast is about. And I I love the diversity that you have on there.
1: Well, I don't know if we know what we're about, which means we can leave it open.
2: (laughs) That's right. Well... Uh, just a brilliant platform to talk about uh, musicians and uh, well, it's even beyond that. It's um, you know, uh, personalities or anyone in the um, uh, entertainment world. I uh, yes. uh, Karen uh, Horan on and uh, you've had Aditya, uh, the double yes. player, which is really Amazing. phenomenal. Yeah. So uh kudos. Um if only I had any musical talent I'd uh, I'd ask to be on as well but uh, hey,
1: there's no such thing as talent. You know, music <laughs> is a skill. Music is, music is a skill like anything else. You just got to work at it.
2: Ah, see. Well, I that's a lesson I am going to take back to my children. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Cuz I, really, I, I I wholeheartedly believe it.
2: Yeah. No, that's it's yeah. uh, it's very well said. Um <laughs> So, uh, speaking of children, do you have any children yourself? I don't No, We're
1: working on that. That's on the plans.
2: Okay. Okay. Now, well, <laughs> a few steps uh, are wise to have beforehand. Exactly. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: uh. Well, uh, again, um, it's great to be, uh, chatting with you. Um, very impressed with your background, all the things you've done and, uh, you know, we we talk about obstacles uh, that people have overcome, adversity they've faced, but but Mm -hmm. also a um, uh, kind of a pursuing a nonlinear path in terms of the things they've done. And uh, clearly music is in your blood, Um, but (laughs) you've also uh, worn a business hat and you've been an entrepreneur. And um, so it's really great. Very much look forward to getting into all of that as we we chat uh, today. Love to start from the very beginning. You are from Auckland, New Zealand. That's um, right. Born and raised, I take mm-hmm.
1: it? Yes, yep, born and raised. Now and I well, have... done, well done for getting the country right, because I've done a few interviews recently where they thought I was in Australia. So, Oh, my goodness.
2: <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> that's yeah. often... People, you know, it's so important to get right. It's just, it's yeah. a very... Uh, I can't tell you how many people say, you know, oh, uh, so your family's from like Pakistan, and I'm like, well, it's <laughs> and they're like, oh, same thing, and I'm like, oh, what? Wow. <laughs> yeah, not quite. I'd want to do a little research there. Exactly. I'm not offended <laughs> in the least, but there would could be some people. Uh, I, even yeah,
1: have- I, I, actually, I I'm not offended either because I always think if you quizzed me on the states, I'd get a, most of it wrong. You know. <laughs> <laughs> like ask me where some of the states are i don't
2: know right 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 well I, you know i'm i'm in los angeles and i know you've spent yeah. quite a bit of time here which is obviously in I canada
1: yeah. <laughs> that's right the east coast of canada la uh, I, I, well I, I, we, it's
2: probably more often that we take claim to like vancouver <laughs> right cuz yeah. it is a really cool city yeah um But you know, my my orientation around uh, the amazing city of Auckland is um, Kari Kari Beach.
1: Yes, Uh, beautiful.
2: We we did a, I think it was our third anniversary, the wife and I, back in 2004. Yeah. We we did a trip there and um, had to do our pilgrimage based on uh, uh, the piano. (laughs) Right, of course.
1: Yeah, that whole coast is amazing. There's a beach right next to it called Bethel's Beach, which I... I personally love Bethel's has a lake there that a lot of people don't know about. You have to walk for about half an hour off the road.
2: Oh, um, wasn't us.
1: Yeah. We, we walked, you have to walk around these giant sand dunes and then there's this amazing lake there, which is beautiful to swim in summer. And so mm. it's, it's pretty astonishing really. These places that are about, I don't know, an hour at most out of the city. Yeah. That's yeah. so pretty
2: cool. No, yeah. absolutely. That's fantastic. Well, And we, we hit some vineyards while we were there as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, And of course, um, your um, Sauvignon Blanc is the best in the world.
1: Oh, you think? That's nice to hear.
2: Absolutely, that's here
1: down, down, down from the Hawke's Bay, I believe, is or ma- maybe Marlborough, where they Marlborough. make some of the good stuff. Yeah,
2: yeah, Marlborough area. It's uh, it's the standard uh, by which mm-hmm. every Sauvignon Blanc should be measured. <laughs> <laughs> I am big into wine, and so yeah. uh, I just I like to, should have to call it as it is. Um, I love.
1: I'm, I'm more of a red drinker, and no, I, enjoy tra- yeah,
2: I enjoy. Yeah, I enjoyed traveling through France
1: because. In France, all the all the cheap, terrible wine is still amazing. You you yeah, buy a yeah. bottle of wine for four bucks from the service station, and it's a really good bottle of wine. <laughs>
2: it's cheaper so, than the water.
1: That's right, yeah.
2: That's a culture that really has its priorities right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like you. I'm partial to uh, to reds, but uh, every once in a while, especially on a warm day, a nice crisp Sauvignon Blanc. Um, oh, yeah. Is really I mean I'm not a uh, I don't like Chardonnays very much but uh, mm-hmm. Sauvignon Blanc I'm definitely all about. Right. So, uh, uh, so considering Auckland itself, whereabouts were you? Uh, was your home growing up?
1: Uh, east, east, sort of southeast Auckland, um, in an area called Bucklands Beach. Oh, okay. Um, which is geographically cut off a little bit from the rest of the city. There's a big estuary that sort of separates us, and it's a decent drive out there, sort of, relatively speaking. Um, and so it, it didn't really feel like we were part of the big city. We sort of, mm. there's a bit of a small town, small town vibe out there, Right, gotcha. for for better or for worse. <laughs> yeah. Which
2: is not a bad dynamic to have. Now, uh, Danny, do you have siblings?
1: I do. One sister, younger, three years younger.
2: Okay. Is she also a musician into music?
1: No, I'm the one in my family, with the exception of an uncle that played bass in the band in the sixties. Okay. Um, Um, I'm the one in my family that got into music. I've got a lot of cousins and they're all, you know, doing other things. Um, Many of them are doing great things. Um, But yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the odd one out.
2: (laughs) So your parents are not musicians or artists or do they have any artistic proclivities?
1: Absolutely none.
2: (laughs) I'm envisioning Uh, accountants. uh...
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, my, my father um, is completely uncreative. Um, I don't think he's ever tried. Mm. um he's also always had uh quite a distaste for the arts he doesn't he doesn't like it he doesn't like that I pursued it um my mum played guitar for about five seconds when she was a teenager and my first guitar that I played was her guitar from when she was a teenager um and I don't quite understand the story but what she says is that her songbook was stolen on the train and that was the end of her playing career she she (laughs) She got to the point where she could put a few chords together, so she had made a little bit of progress, and then someone sold her a songbook, and that was it. And, I'm, and I said to her, why didn't you get another songbook? And she just went, I don't know. <laughs> so clearly, it wasn't like a driving passion, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So but
2: it, it was for you, and I understand you started playing guitar at 12.
1: I did, yes. I played. I went to piano lessons from a pretty young age, from I think I was maybe six or something when I started um, piano lessons, and I had lessons for it with a couple of different tutors, but it didn't really take with me it didn't okay. it didn't land with me. and I understand that more now, looking back because um, I struggled at school in general as well. Uh, and I think just the the conventional conservative conservative approach to piano lessons didn't inspire me. Okay. So when I started playing guitar, um, I was, you know, all all of a sudden I was playing songs that I was hearing on the radio and I was and the main drive for me was actually writing music so when I figured out how to put a couple of chords together then I realized oh I can write my own progressions and I can complete a song and so I did that within a couple of months of playing and then I just started writing like three or four songs a week and I kept that up until I was like 30. (laughs) So Wow
2: wow Um, so just hearing the song you could replicate it on your guitar?
1: yeah that was the first thing i tried to learn how to do again this is just a skill that you get better at you know trial and error um i remember working out songs i liked um either the vocal melodies or the bass lines on on my guitar i remember working out smooth criminal michael jackson Uh, i think that was one of the first ones i worked out and and even just um trying to find the, the note structures for just christmas carols and things you know how does how does silent night go you know um and you just, you get a few things right and a few things wrong. And if you're into it and you do it every day, you just start to get more of a sense for it.
2: Amazing. And it's really great that your, your passion just kind of kept being peaked and you just kept. Yeah. Well, it was a,
1: it was a combination of positives and negatives because everything else in my life was going horribly wrong. Mm. And so I loved music and I'd loved music from as far back as I could remember. Um, but music was also the only thing that was good so it was it was sort of a natural thing for me to go you know all in
2: yeah (laughs) yeah it was an outlet for you yeah
1: absolutely that's
2: great uh, you found a bunch of uh, buddies for whom it was also an outlet and you launched Mm -hmm. Frankie's when you were 15
1: that's right the Frankie's yeah, I, the group. <laughs> well, the all the other guys in the Frankies were two years older than me. Um wow. so yeah, they when I when I met them I was thirteen, they were fifteen, and um they had another singer. And I remember one day um I, I just I, I knew one of them because he lived across the street from me. So that's why I got talking to them. And um then I got to know more of them. And then one day they were they were clearly annoyed and I said, What's going on? And they said yet again, our singer hasn't turned up to rehearsal. And I, and I just went, well, you know, if you need a singer, you know, let me know, thinking nothing would come of it. And um, then they, yeah, I think it was maybe, I don't know, a week later or something, they said, yeah, we, might, we might need you, you know, this guy's just not showing up.
2: And this, it sounds it, amazingly like the beginning of Queen.
1: Oh really? I don't know that story.
2: <laughs> oh, Freddie Mercury and how he joined uh with the other band members, they kind of had a similar dilemma where this is that right? and uh uh I, I think you were sought after a little bit more by uh the Frankies than uh, uh Freddie Mercury was, but uh right. he, he he convinced them that uh, he was the
1: one. Well I learned a few lessons in that band because you know I really had no place in you know, I mean these guys were older than me, they'd been playing longer. Um, as good as I might have been, which wasn't that good, um, but I I was nowhere near where they were up to because they had a few years on me and and uh, and I was just the little runt who kind of inched his way into the band. And they had a gig coming up, and I I just said, well I I'll do it, and and that was it. Um, then there was another there was another thing that came up, and we were we were struggling for songs, and they actually had someone else writing songs for them. And the songs were terrible. They were, Mm -hmm. they were really corny. Yeah. And, and we were starting to, I mean, they were finally coming around to the idea. These songs aren't good. Um, what a strange idea also, by the way, that teenagers would have have another teenager writing songs for them. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I say that out loud, that seems really strange. But, um, (laughs) but there was a moment where I finally said, well, you know, I've been writing songs for a while. I've got a few. And Mm -hmm. I mean, they went really. And I said, yeah. And, um, I played them one, and they all they all went, "Wow, that's that's actually a good song," you know, <laughs> and and that began um the the kind of the final version of the band, and nice. we ended up at like the height of our of our career, if you want to call it that. We um, ended the Rock Quest, which was a national nationwide school school band event, and uh, we got we won the Auckland finals and got to the nationals, and we didn't win the nationals, but we we got there, and it was exciting because it was several thousand people in the audience it was the same stage the Beatles had played you know we won some um we won some studio time and we're on tv and things like that so that was all awesome and then at the end of it I said to the guys um all right next year why don't we do this and this and this and um they went well you know the band's over right and I said what why and they said well you know we're all going off to university you know a couple, (laughs) couple of the guys are heading several hours south and you know and then just pragmatically the band was just done so wow. that was it
2: <laughs> that was the end of the frankies wow okay Exactly. exactly. uh well then um that kind of laid the groundwork to uh i think your next band was spinner
1: yeah there were a few a few bands in between there was a okay. a, a band after there, there was a few different sort of this is what musicians do they they'd start and try a lot okay. of things and most of what they start fail Um, I was actually in a band for a couple of years in between called Through the Rain. I know, terrible name for a band, terrible. But it was the 90s and everything was sort of deep and meaningful and, and everything had to have a deeper point, you know. So um, it was it was the era, it was the era of Dawson's Creek where we all knew. Ah uh, yes, yes. Well, you know,
2: sometimes uh, in the U.S. when you say you're all wet, it means you're naive.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we we put this really intense band together with really meaningful songs and this meaningful, you know, through the rain was supposed to represent, you know, getting through adversity, um, but it just sounded dumb and um and that band was actually an amazingly positive thing in my life because we managed to make every mistake a band can make in 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 the two years we existed well you
2: got it out of your system
1: we we ended up with no fan base um musicians who had come through the band and gone fallouts we lost a huge amount of money because we made terrible decisions Mm. and um and we all we it all blew apart um really badly and I got out the other end of that and thought, wow, I need to learn from that.
2: <laughs> you know? yes, so absolutely.
1: yeah, yeah.
2: Well, I know that uh, with several of these bands, you were taking on some of the business aspects, some of those mm-hmm. roles. And so you're kind of showing your entrepreneurial spirit at that stage, um, coordinating tours and and being involved in setting up the events and the gigs and so forth.
1: Yeah. Well, the first taste of that actually goes back to the Frankie's because mm-hmm. when we were trying to put our application in for the, for the Rock Quest, uh, we what we decided to do, and you know, in the spirit of sharing the tasks, is we we gave everyone a, a couple of tasks because we had to get stuff together to put the application in and so on. Um, and we said, okay, we'll all get it done by the end of the week. And only two of us ended up doing what we said we we're going to do. And then we said, okay, you know, get it done on the weekend, do it by Monday. We've got to get the application in by like Thursday or whatever it was. And uh, they you know, again, on Monday, the other guys hadn't done their thing. And, and I think me and one of the guys the, the other guy who had done his task, him and I spoke and said, you know what, forget those guys. Because if we don't, if we wait for them, and they don't do it, we're going to miss out on the whole thing. Yeah. So let's just get it done. And, you know, and we did. And then we had this amazing experience. And that really, that actually made me click. You can't wait for other people. You've got to be proactive. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it went through the rain blew apart. And we ended up with all these problems and whatever, that challenged my idea of the democratic approach that most bands try to take. Mm. Most bands try to say, well, we're going to be a dem- democracy, so no one's in charge. And then I thought, well, hang on, democracies have leaders. That's what a democracy is. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what, are we, what are all these bands on about? So we started Spinner uh, a couple of years later. And again, we tried to do the pseudo-democracy thing. And it didn't work. And we had all these great moments in our career. We did some big gigs and stuff, but um, internally we were a nightmare. And eventually I went to the band and I said, look, this isn't working. So here are the choices. Either I take over and become the manager, which means I want a percentage, and I want you to give me the right to lead. And and you need to let me see the, the um, you know, I'm gonna put a plan together and see it through. Um, and I will carry the, 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 um, I'll carry the fail if it fails. Um, and I'll carry the win if it wins, you know, but you've got to, you, we've got to have someone steer the ship
2: they have to either, have...
1: either that or I'm out. Yeah. I'm, I, I quit. And I was the principal songwriter and the front man as well. So that, you know, the chances of them letting me go was probably pretty slim. Yeah. And,
2: <laughs> it's a good game.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they, um, and they went, yep, that's fine. There was actually no high feelings about that. Uh, yeah. And and then straight away all of the problems went away. The band really? was just the band was just peaceful because they just put everyone. Everyone just knew what was happening at that point.
2: They knew what the role was, what the expectation was. Um, yeah, it, it sounds a lot like a startup. Uh, I have to say, yes, uh, what you just That's described. Right. Um, yeah. and, and and it was a democracy in that uh, the band members got to vote and agree that you yeah. would be the leader.
1: And I also said to them, look, this doesn't mean I become a dictator. We still have conversations. I'm still going to include you guys in the decisions. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, someone has to be accountable to say, this is, okay, everyone's said their piece. This is now the plan. Yeah,
2: no, um, and, yeah.
1: And, it, and it really worked. And in the background um, behind all of this, I was also trying to figure out how to make music a career, as mm. in make a living from music, which was sort of the holy grail for a lot mm. of people. No one could figure out how to do it. Yeah. And I was on the verge at that point. I think I was about a year away from doing it.
2: Wow, brilliant. Well, before we leave this sort of uh, period of your life, and mm. uh, to the extent you're comfortable talking about it, uh, Danny, and, and and this is all being edited, so if I ask you something you'd rather not get into, right. then just, you just tell me. Or um, well, this, You talked about how um, uh, there's a lot of solace you had in music, and music was kind of a, a home uh, because other things were not going so well. Were those um, school-related? Were there family-related issues? Would you like to share about that? Yeah,
1: I'm really happy to talk about that stuff because I think one of the problems we have in society is we don't talk about these things enough, and then people people suffer through things and they feel alone, and that that create you know that um, exacerbates the problems. Um, And yeah, basically, my life was just a mess when I was a kid. I I was I found out much later, I found out when I was an adult, that I was dyslexic um, and that I had a problem with my eyesight. So the school's um, response back then was just to treat me like I was an idiot. And so I struggled all the way through school, um, constantly failing at everything. Um, my father was a pretty difficult person who I no longer have a relationship with. Um, and he, he, treat, he, yeah, he treated me pretty badly. Um, there was a huge amount of bullying and fistfights, and um, in the school, in the neighbourhood, and sometimes at home, and so everything was pretty rotten. And um, and w- one of the things I always think about is when people talk about well, when I'm talking to someone about my career, they usually pick up on the the the, 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 the wow moments, like you worked with this person, you played this show, and that kind of stuff, right? Because it seems really exciting, especially when you talk about some of the big names that supported and so on. Um, and I think, well, that's cool. I mean those those moments were fantastic, but in my mind, that's not the the that's not the interesting bit. The interesting that bit what is, shaped you. Yeah, I was destined for a complete disaster. And I managed to on my own, because I had no one helping me, I managed to steer myself out of disaster and put a life together. Yeah, and yeah. my my life now is is you know, I'm not I'm not a multimillionaire or anything like that, but it's a good, solid life and I and I put it together myself when I was on track to become, uh, you know, I mean, who knows what I would have become, but I, you know, I think maybe prison, maybe being strung out, whatever, any of these, or just really, really unhappy. <laughs> so yeah. to me, that's my greatest achievement actually, is the one thing no one will ever notice.
2: That is really phenomenal. Um, I applaud you, Danny. Thank and you. what's fascinating is um, uh, there have been a few other guests who have talked about dyslexia, Mm. Uh, we had a physician on, and she called dyslexia her secret power. Yes, I agree. It, it, it forced her to think about the whole word and not get bogged down in syllables. Mm-hmm. And she said that uh, that's how she treats her patients. She looks right. at the overall picture and doesn't focus on symptoms. And she says it makes her a far better physician than if she didn't have dyslexia. Uh, also had a visual artist, a painter, who said that um, uh, she found a home in in visual language mm-hmm. that was far more comfortable for her painting and drawing than words were. She thought words were going to eat her when she right. was young. Yeah, and <laughs> so and that what you've just described about fi- you know finding your home in in music it was another mm-hmm. language where you could express yourself.
1: Well, when I, when I started to realize that I might be dyslexic and I en- ended up taking a test, uh, I went on the website uh, in New Zealand. I think it's possibly dyslexia.co.nz or the Dyslexia Foundation or something like that. Um, and their homepage has this amazingly written um, description of dyslexia. And they really make the point, this is not a fault. This is not a flaw. This is basically a superpower. Because by inhibiting one way of processing you open the door to a lot of other ways of processing yep. and so i think a lot of a lot of i guess non-dyslexic people you tell them something and they just remember it you know or you give them a test and they just wrote they they go from rote or whatever what dyslexics sorry what dyslexics often have to do is they don't know how to do it the conventional way so they have to problem solve it and find another way around and through that process they end up understanding it more because they've actually had to take it apart and put it back together again. And that's essentially I mean, I I think my career is pretty funny in a way, because I don't I didn't know how to run a business. I had no idea. And the idea of running a business was completely foreign to what I was in in, in the middle of you know if you're if you're a young guy in a rock band and you go i want to start a business everyone just mocks you (laughs) so
2: um and so the
1: the the only way that i managed to pull off like musical things and and setting up the business and whatever was by going well i don't know how to run a business but let's just break this down and go what do i have to achieve here
2: brilliant
1: and so i like later later on i learned terms like breaking even and <laughs> and turnover and gross and net and things like that but at the time my words were like you know, I, don't, I can't remember what I would have called it back then, but it would have just been like, let's try and not be broke. You yeah. know, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> running out of
2: money is a bad
1: thing. Let's not exactly, do- <laughs> <laughs> write it down. Man, oh. Running out of money, bad thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's brilliant.
2: Well, we've had another guest on. He actually has started a company that will makes educational materials for children who are grappling with dyslexia. And Danny, he has shared with me some amazing stats um and in one there's one called um the 700 club right uh, it's a double entendre because there's a 700 club in the u.s which is this uh very conservative religious group
1: oh but right
2: it, it means something else it uh it's uh, in the u.s when you apply to university you have to take this standardized test called the sat you might have heard of this mm-hmm. yeah uh, and so uh the 700 club are uh those who scored 700, which is not a high score, um, but are now uh, multi-millionaire entrepreneurs.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's quite a few of them, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's a
2: disproportionately large number of entrepreneurs that have dyslexia.
1: That's right. It doesn't um, surprise me.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, and there's a, a whole slew of other statistics. I'm going to put you in touch with uh, Dean Bergonier is his name. All right. founder there and uh, I've done he's been on the podcast as a guest but it, <clears throat> the episode hasn't gotten through post-production yet so it's right. not posted uh, but I will alert you once it is so I would
1: love to hear that yeah thank you
2: thank you Danny for your candor and, uh, and explaining that and um, you know I'm, I'm sorry to hear about the splintering of the family but you, you did the right thing. You need to meet people where, where they are. And if your father was in this mode of being disparaging towards you, then that's not a, uh, you don't need that in your life. It's,
1: it's yeah, th- th- I completely agree. And that's true for um, friendships I had back then as well. And so, you know, I, I, I had a bit of bad luck in the sense that I had quite a few toxic people around. I, I had a couple of really nasty teachers as well. You know, One was so nasty that um, once her behavior came to light, my mom actually got her fired. You know, oh, wow. so I just, you know, some, some people just have bad luck with that stuff. Um, it's, it's not obviously because of me, it's just um, luck of the draw. Sure. But being able to say, you know, you need people around you who are, gonna, uh, who are gonna bring the best out of you. I know it's kind of corny to say, but it's true. You know, you need people mm-hmm. who'll bring the best out of you
2: Absolutely. and
1: who will build you up. And, and if you're around people who are um, constantly making you feel small or constantly leading you the wrong way, you need to disengage with those people.
2: Absolutely. A hundred percent. Um, I, I applaud you again uh, for, for doing that. Um, I wonder the impulse to um, write songs, which feels like that was your strongest inclination when it mm. came to, to music. And, and correct me if I have that wrong. Um, That's right. Did lyrics come out of, was the inspiration some of this strife you were facing, some of this conflict in your life, or did it come Oh, yeah, places?
1: absolutely. And again, you, you you understand these things better in retrospect. But um, back in my childhood, one of the big problems is that no one was listening to me. Yeah. You know, my, my, my father would just dismiss me or tell me to be quiet or whatever. Teachers weren't interested. Um, there was a guy who lived next door to me who... Was really really nice to me, and he would, you know, he would be tending his, to, to his vegetable garden, and I'd go over there and sit and talk to him, and he would just listen to me and say, "Yeah, I know, I know what you mean," and he was really really nice. But unfortunately, when I was about ten or eleven, um, he died very suddenly of cancer, oh, and so yeah. like the the oh. the one guy, the one adult that was giving me time, mm. left, you know, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was just no one was listening. But the the great thing about lyrics is that no one can interrupt you, 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 make, you, know, you write it out, you get to the end, and that's it, and then when you perform them, you've got a microphone, so people can shout as much as they want, but I'm going to be louder than you, <laughs> and you have to listen to the end of the song, and so I think that, I didn't think of this at the time, but I think looking back, I go, well, obviously, I was writing lyrics, because I was trying to get the world to hear
2: me, Amazing Danny that is so well said uh you've made me a bit emotional as you're you're talking about this so uh um i, I just I'm really thankful that uh your your twelve year old self picked up that guitar
1: oh at, so am I
2: at home <laughs> so
1: am i i I actually think about that quite a bit like the most amazing things have happened in my life because of that decision
2: yeah. And
1: uh-huh. I think, wow! I I I want to time travel back and go. Thank you.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well done, lad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, this is really fantastic. I, this is going to be so inspirational. I'm inspired, and uh, I can't awesome. wait to share this with my my children. In fact, I've got a fourteen year old daughter, a twelve year old son. Cool. And, Are they into music? Uh, so you know. Um, I think they're like their father. They appreciate it more than they um, perform it. Um, My daughter had been doing violin. Um, She developed a strong interest in voice, so we've got her um, starting, you know, with voice lessons. Um, It's a bit challenging with COVID at the moment because there aren't any performances she can be a part of. Yes. But um, So I think, yeah, she's more inclined towards the theatrical side. Uh, My son, whom we've tried a bunch of different uh, instruments, including a a drum set and guitar lessons, and uh, um, he didn't really take with either of those, but I think dance is his thing. Cool, awesome. He he was involved in a a performance at school, and he didn't tell us this. We got surprised the night of the first performance where (laughs) he was the only kid with a solo dance sequence
1: right that's fantastic. i mean
2: it was a musical. It was high school musical three that they were performing so there were a lot there was a lot of dancing but yeah. he was the only one who had a solo uh, right and his timing was just impeccable
1: that's great yeah i mean i i'm not the sort of musician that thinks everyone should play music i just think that everyone should just do whatever they want yeah yeah you know well, and, 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 uh, yeah and
2: personally i mean um music has been such an important salve for anything that i've gone through in my life and i love yes. all forms of music i love i love rock um, yeah you know i grew up uh, on youtube joshua mm-hmm. tree was Fantastic. just an anthem in my life yeah um and the other heavy metal bands big hair bands metallica def leppard uh, nice <laughs> that you've performed with eric clapton Oh, yeah, minds of course that was, yeah. that was good uh, but I, I also love classical music um I'm yeah really big fan of um of that and me uh, too i always think of music as being like
1: food like if someone if someone goes i only like this genre of music to me that's like saying i only like hamburgers yes i think yes i oh, only like i mean it's
2: such a there's such variety out there just enjoy you're, it exactly and and of <laughs> course you know um i, I and I, I feel this is absurd i'm, I'm like talking too much about myself this is good. Good about you but I, I like a conversation that flows uh, and it feels natural to share this you know uh, uh i was born in germany to parents of indian origin i, I think I, I mentioned the indian origin part um mm-hmm. i love classical indian music i love Kuali. yeah uh, and i'm not religious but the artistry that comes out and the poetry of these lyrics are just mind-boggling I agree. Beautiful. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, I, I, well, I, been...
1: I, I I got towards the end of my teenage years, and I was starting to get a little bit bored with Western music, um, or or just pop or just pop radio, I guess is the better way of putting it, and uh, and I just started to go back in time and go who are all these blues guys and jazz guys and you know i I went back and got into the beatles catalog and then i started to explore flamenco and um and music from africa and south america and 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 parts of india and and now my music taste is just completely all over the place. Very eclectic, uh, and it was funny because all my friends at the time were they were just listening to like club music.
2: You know? yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm
1: like, have you heard this? Have you heard of this random guy from so and so? He plays this instrument called a such and such. And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> we can't get high to that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm like, you can. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so great. Well, you know, you're following the the Peter Gabriel model.
1: Oh, I love Peter Gabriel, yeah. I was just listening to
2: him yesterday. Just the depth of Mm. what he is into and the care with which he approaches his music. Yeah. It's really inspiring. Absolutely. Um, We got sidetracked a bit, but this was meaningful, (laughs) and I'm really glad uh, that we did. Um, I'd love to lead up to the 2005 opening of Paper Plane production. So we talked about Spinner. Um, But then there was another group, Buskers, that you were a part of. Do I have that right?
1: Uh, Well, the Buskers is just a a working band. It's a covers band. It's just Uh, a way to make make money. But the lead up, and it it is all part of it, because the lead up to Paper Plane Productions, which is just my operating company, um, like I said earlier, I was trying to figure out how to go full time as a musician and i couldn't figure it out and no one around me could figure it out unless of course he had a huge single and made millions of bucks um and well of course we're all, we're all working on that but it didn't happen um so this, <laughs> this, yeah yeah <laughs> and um this uh, singer that i knew was a few years older than me he's just a singer on the local scene he mentioned to me one day he goes i've just gone full time and i went what how did you do that you know tell me everything
2: yeah, yeah.
1: and And he said, well, what I realized is you can't make a living out of one thing in this field. You can't make a living out of just writing songs. You can make a little bit of money, but you can't make enough. Um, And you can't quite make a living out of just playing live, especially the New Zealand music scene's pretty, pretty boutique. So um, you can't make a living that way. And you can't make a living just doing radio jingles. But if you get multiple streams of income and look at it that way across all of these projects, you can actually make a living. And that that turned the light on for me. I can't remember if he used that term by the way, multiple streams of income. I doubt he did. Um
2: it's a great that, term.
1: It's a great term. Yeah. I think I picked it up um from a business person later on. Uh and but yeah, that became the template. I'm like, I now I now I see it. Now I, I get how to do it. And so then I started to make lists of all the things that I could do within music that would make me money. And um that included obviously my original music playing live and trying to and, and selling albums. Cause you did that back then and, uh, get it, trying to get sync deals. I had music played on TV shows and things like that. Uh, and then playing in a covers band because that's where the money is playing live in New Zealand. Uh, okay. Um, session work as part of it, um, teaching guitar. Um, you know, I made this list of all these things I could do. And then I actually started taking some short courses about business. And they taught me how to write a business plan and how to do an overview in regards to going, well, this is the percentage um, I expect this particular area to bring in in my turnover. And, you know, I drew up a pie, pie graph and did that. And, and so the moral of the story is that in trying to put a music career together, I found the answer in business, not in music. Amazing. Because the, mu- the music industry has this habit of re- just repeating itself, yeah. even when it's not working. Yeah, and yeah. the music industry of course as everybody knows has completely changed a couple of times over in the last 20 years oh, and sick. is now is now arguably collapsed so it's not it's not functional anymore and right. and yet, we're, and yet we're still trying to repeat the same model over and over and over again the band is going let's write the song and get the record deal and then everything will be great and not not realizing that a record deal is like the worst kind of mortgage you can sign
2: yeah you
1: know so So yeah, I, I actually found the answer by stepping out of the music industry and going and talking to business mentors and, and they just taught me how to put structure around my plan. So I started my company in 2005 and I brought it to break even within 14 months and I've now been, and I've now been, um, you know, working for myself ever since.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. 15 year run. That's fantastic. So far. Uh, far, Well done, Danny. I've, um, founded and sold three companies i don't think we were ever break even by 14 months Never. well i had a
1: i mean of course i was working from home i had, lo- I had pretty much no overheads and you know it's a it's a, a vocation style business in, in many ways i don't think i could sell it because i'd have to sell them myself you know I <laughs> right <am> the... <laughs> right you're the key,
2: you're the key <laughs> yeah. asset to there yeah. in that way well exactly. it was more um there's a term uh, commercialization of a hobby right Yes, like You would be doing this anyway um, because of so. what you love, the fact mm. that you love it. And uh, this having these multiple revenue streams enabled you just to do it completely and not be distracted by other things, which is, which is really fantastic. Mm. So um, I, I want to get into uh, Awake and Restless, the first of four albums you've released. But before we go there, I do want to ask this question because throughout your career, you've come back to performing live, being a session musician. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I'm tempted to see or say that um, there's a part of that energy that really you thrive on and, and maybe that's a fuel for your creative energy for writing music which we've talked about or or song, writing songs, which is it really is your true passion. Is am I going in the right direction with that, or is it is it something? Do you mean else? performing? Do you mean performing live? Yeah, the the, the, yeah. the live performance aspect of it. Because sometimes it's cover, sometimes it's other material. It's not necessarily your own material. Yeah. Um. But you've come back to that a few times in your career, and is it does yeah. that? You know, is it helping put energy towards your creative outlet, or is it? I mean, yeah. It, it just, Absolutely
1: no. I mean, I've been performing consistently since I was 12, and this year has been the first time I've had a big, long break, you know, oh, yeah. um, because of because of global events, obviously.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, the original passion was to write songs, but that's never going to be the end of it because you want the songs to then go and have a life. Yeah. And so uh, you want people to either hear the recordings or, or hear them live. And playing live is... I mean, when I was 12, I probably didn't get this because I wasn't good enough yet. But when you get to a certain level of musicianship and you're up there with good musicians and the band's really cooking um, and the audience are there with you, there's just nothing. There's no other experience like that. It's just that an, energy.
2: It's,
1: yeah, you can't describe it. I don't think anyone can fully appreciate it until they they experience it. it. It's just, it's unreal. Yeah. And um, the i don't actually really differentiate covers from originals when it comes to playing live because i think once you're up there with the band a song's a song yeah
2: nice.
1: um, it doesn't matter what it is and the uh, the impact it has on the audience and i've had people come up after shows and they've been in tears and they've been they've, they've said this has really moved me or something and then of course often all we're doing is just helping people dance either way it's one of the most exciting things you could possibly do is is stand up there with an audience and connect with them it's just an amazing feeling
2: that's the word right there it's the connection yes on and you're, you're leading them and so i really love the way you describe that um on occasion i felt that in terms of public speaking or interacting with a crowd yeah um it's very um gratifying is almost too cheaper word there's something more spiritual happening uh, on that plane that's connecting people
1: i think i think it's historical like i I think it's something as part of you know because humans connecting is part of the power of being human absolutely and and this is a way of of timesing that by a hundred you know so it's it's i mean it's a modern phenomenon because of the modern music industry but i think people connecting with other people is humanity
2: absolutely well and th- that's how we can also bridge the divide and, and address some of the issues that mm. seemingly keep us apart uh issues of racism and so forth it's, yes i've often felt like um, it's it, it's it's art so and music as a part of that um uh food quite frankly and and love i think are the are the ways but music can break barriers you don't need to Speak another person's language to be able right. to communicate or express something through music. I've done that
1: before too. Playing with someone, playing music with someone that where you don't have a common language, uh, literally, is fantastic. amazing. It's amazing. So
2: fantastic. Yeah. I I wrote this book to pay homage to um, my. They were essentially godparents of mine. I mean, I was raised by, raised by my biological parents, but I was very mm-hmm. close to them. They were very they were they were classical musicians themselves and their um uh the, the, the woman, her brother, was the lead ch- uh cellist for the Berlin Philharmonic. Cool. And we had the saying, um, let's let the music do the talking. Right. Yeah when we're at it, there's an emotional high point or something that just happened and we just played music and we just said, let's let the music do the talking.
1: I love that. I totally get that. Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, this is such an exciting conversation, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's It's been, uh, we're clearly connecting and you're creating this great emotional response out of me. Uh, <laughs> is, no, That's brilliant. I appreciate really, it. Really appreciate it. <laughs> so uh, the time came to put the songs you had been writing into an album, mm, yes. Uh, had there been the plan all along to eventually do uh, uh, a wake and release? Or, well,
1: uh, uh, the the plan had been that the like I was saying earlier, all musicians they adopt the same plan, which is to get someone else to sign you, right, and then and then they would make it happen, right. Um, I had a couple of almosts along the way. I almost signed a big management deal, and and a couple of you know little little other things were offered. None of them quite worked out. And then I thought, well, what do I actually want out of a record company? Um, I want them to make me, you know, to make the album, and I want them to put it out and all of that. And I just thought, well, th- but then they're going to take a really high percentage, and they're probably going to screw me because that's what always happens. And um I thought, well, why don't I just put the album out? Why don't I just become the record company? Because now I have a company. And funnily enough, now that I was working for myself, it was the first time in my life that I wasn't broke, <laughs> strangely. Um So I thought... Well, I'll just do it. So I just did it. And um, I just, I lumped the money myself and, uh, you know, pulled pulled the songs together and put the band in the studio and made the album and put it out independently. Um, I, I, put, I um, signed a distribution deal, but it came out without a record contract. And um, again, after 10 months, I broke even on uh, the album, which in New Zealand almost never happens because yeah, it's such a brilliant. small country. And I did that by by just sitting there again, thinking, "What are all the ways I can make this make money?" And so there's a there's a soap opera here in New Zealand that I license a lot of material to. I license. Is
2: music that Shortland music. Street?
1: Shortland Street, exactly. Yeah. You've done your <laughs> research.
2: Um, I did. it <laughs> well, Air New Zealand as well. You've done their music. Well, yeah,
1: exactly. They they actually um, became very good uh, uh, on a financial level for me, and uh, and then of course selling CDs and getting royalties and I, you know i put it, it it worked out in the end and and um i don't know if i achieved what i wanted to artistically but i proved that i could uh, i could do it independently as a as a what am i trying to say as a as a business thing yeah you know i could make it yeah, as an entity yeah. and and in the end i own it all and it continues to make me money now <laughs> so, that's
2: great that's fantastic yeah. now you made an interesting comment you don't know if you achieved what you wanted to artistically um
1: well I think the reason- yeah i wasn't happy necessarily, I think most artists are all aren't quite happy with anything they make it's it's part of the deal you' yeah, exactly. we're all tortured souls you know and we, we're not <laughs> we're not supposed to talk about it as well because we're supposed to uh we're not supposed to taint someone else's experience so if someone else listens to the first album now we ideally they'll listen to it objectively and if they like it, they like it you know i don't want to put it into their heads that it wasn't quite what I was looking for um, but um I think if you if you align your music more obviously within a genre, then creating that music is easier because everyone involved knows exactly what the target is. Yeah. So if you're, if you're a reggae band and you go to the studio and go, I'm making a reggae album, the engineers know which mics to use. Yeah. They, know, they know, you know the production techniques. They know what to do. The band knows how to play. If you're a punk band, no problem. We've got you. We know exactly how to make a punk record but if you're a Peter Gabriel of, you know, and, and obviously I'm not Peter Gabriel, but um, I was always trying to do that kind of thing of having a hybrid of lots of influences. Um, that means you confuse everybody at every yeah. step because now you're saying, well, I want the kick drum to sound like a hip hop thing, but I want the piano to be jazz and I want the guitar to be kind of like early eighties, you know, but, but I want the bass to sound like it's from the stones and now they look at you and go, well, obviously you're mental, get out of here.
2: Yeah, And yeah. so,
1: um, And so what it it means is that every album has been a huge experiment um, that everyone involved on these albums haven't fully understood as they've been making it. And I haven't fully understood as I've been making it. And you get to the end and you go, okay, well, those moments on the album are really awesome. And those moments are really weird.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, this came to uh, life in uh, full fruition with your Letters to the Future album. Yeah, that's right which was, uh, hearing about that was so impressive. And for our, our listeners, I mean, just such an innovative approach. You worked with 13 different musicians in a number of different locations, Mm. um, and, and just collected all this music. And then of course you mixed it, uh, on on your own, uh, in in the studio, but, um, what uh, a phenomenal approach.
1: Well, the, the, I think the interesting thing about that album was I love musicians and I love musicianship and, Mm. I've been a fan of the great session players in the world through most of my musical career. Um, sometimes more than the big famous artists themselves. Like, you know, um, I love sting, but I'm probably, I was probably more excited to meet Vinny Kaliuta a few years ago. Um, (laughs) because he's like, he's a legendary drummer and, and, and I just worship him as a musician. You know, I think most people do who know him. And so, um, what I started to think about was, well, if I was lucky enough to record with someone like Vinnie, the last thing that I'd want to do is tell him what to do, because he's Vinny Pagliuta, you know what I mean? Yes, so if you've got, yeah, if, if good, you've got good musicians, just let them do their thing, and yeah, surely that, yeah. that's gonna create the best result. Right. So what I did was, um, and I work with great musicians, so I can't afford to do this. Um, I basically just sent them recordings of myself playing acoustic versions of the songs, just basic chords and vocals, and I said I said to that there were three drummers involved and I said you just write your own parts completely yeah. change the groove surprise yeah. me all oh, you want yeah. I don't care just do whatever you want and then we we handed that off to the bass players I think there were three bass players on the record um, same deal one double bass player one predominant electric player and, and another guy guested they did whatever they want and then we got in piano players and guitarists and banjo and vocal vocalists and so on and and it my um feedback to them was so minor it almost didn't exist and so in the end i mean in some ways it's not actually even my album you know when when i when wow. i listen to the, when wow. i listen to the album, i don't think this is my piece of art i think this is wow. just a this is an album that thirteen people made
2: well amazing <laughs> wow that's uh, says a lot about you uh uh Danny that's really it's very impressive um you know and, and uh, it was the first of its kind i've heard uh like that i love just the innovation the inclusivity um
1: well i mean my one of my musical heroes herbie hancock he, i mean he did oh, the yeah. same thing he did the same thing on an album called the imagine sessions
2: okay um, i didn't know where, that. yeah
1: yeah it's a, it's a beautiful album really worth checking really, out yeah. and he 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 recorded with musicians all around the world from different countries and cultures and made this yeah. absolute beautiful masterpiece so I'm not the first to do it, um, okay. but I'll, ta- I'll, I'll take the compliment.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for uh, adding some depth to it. and It doesn't take away yeah. at all from your achievement. <laughs> now, that album, Letters to the Future, which I think is also an exquisite title, um, came out in 2012. In the three years prior, you were performing with a lot of amazing musicians, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, Simple Minds. Also, uh, Fender honoured you, um, had, uh, had you on their site, uh, on their yep. website. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... So
1: i uh, doing support slots. I should, I should just clarify there are support slots with those big artists. I, I would love to have been playing literally with them. Um, <laughs> right. But, right. I, but I wasn't. We're, we're, but it was still amazing to be the support band for Eric Clapton and get to meet him and hang out and stuff. So
2: Absolutely. I mean, and there's a, certainly a, a threshold of skill that you need to surpass in order to be able to, to do that. Um, I guess so. Yeah, and um, uh, you also were involved with uh, Red Suns band.
1: Oh yeah, that was a that was another trial and um, trial and failure. <laughs> <laughs> that was a that was a brief moment. We we tried to do this new thing, and it just just never got off the ground. And that was actually right before Letters of the Future. So um, I was writing a lot of material for the Red Suns, mm. and. Um the, it was the wrong team, I think. Okay. I think it's important to to have the right team when you do things. That team just didn't work properly and it just never really got anywhere. And in response to that, I started writing the songs that became Letters to the Future.
2: Yes. Nice. Yeah. Okay, that's fantastic. Um after Letters to the Future came out, you kept touring. Um you did a uh five track EP in twenty thirteen.
1: Yep. PS
2: more acoustic.
1: Mm-hmm that's right
2: and um uh, you know tell us about what prompted that i mean what was the thematic hold together of of, of this grouping of songs
1: um that was actually an extension of letters to the future because we had a lot we had a lot more songs than we needed okay and so like i said i i started um the letters to the future process by recording them as just acoustic tracks and then getting the band to expand on them Nice. And the five songs on PS were just five songs that we decided in the end were were actually nicer as solo pieces, and um, so it was actually sort of like *Letters to the Future* Part Two or whatever,
2: you know. Yeah. Okay. okay. Mm. Gotcha. Nice. Very nice. Um, you were also involved with this uh, a Michael Jackson tribute show. Which yes, is a nice full circle from Smooth Criminal that you shared at the beginning.
1: <laughs> that's exactly right. And I grew up listening to Michael Jackson, like I'm sure a lot of people did, and um, I adored his music when I was a kid, and I still do. Um, and ne- then I get the call, is this tour coming, you know, happening? And I'm like, damn, that sounds so much fun, <laughs> and it was so much fun. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, that's great. And then uh, involved with Automatic Eighties.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Tired uh, Tew- with them for a few years.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. nice. And then, uh, you know, you're spending some time in, in LA. Um, have you ever contemplated uh, residing here?
1: I have. We were actually beginning the process uh, ah. about, a, about a year ago. We, oh boy. We, we put our names, my my partner and I put our names into the green card lottery thing. All right. And All right. we also began um, talking to a lawyer. To, okay. to talk about how we might actually, pro- you know, apply properly.
2: Wow. And,
1: um, that was all, you know, we were excited about pursuing that idea. And then the events of this year unfolded. Yeah. And I've always been, I've never been, I've never completely fit in in New Zealand. New Zealand's a very mm. rugby orientated country. I don't care about rugby. Um all blacks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just not, a, I'm not a typical Kiwi. And, and as I started to travel to L.A. more, I felt more at home there, funnily enough.
2: <laughs> oh,
1: <that's laughs> more, more people over there are like me, you yeah, know,
2: yeah.
1: Um, whereas here I'm sort of a fish out of water. So um, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to move over there. And then this year has made me really appreciate living in New Zealand. You know, we've, oh, yeah. I mean, and it's awful to see what's happening around the world um, yeah. and where I don't know if there's another country that's got a better situation than new zealand does
2: currently we have a phenomenal head of state we do and we do. you really have uh it's a, you're a role model i mean they talk about new zealand they talk about korea they talk about sweden as role models for what we all should have done um but mm. uh the us in particular has gotten it miserably wrong um, I mean in, fe-
1: in fairness we are geographically we, we know, we're an island you know mm. so ge- geographically mm. it's going to be easier for us right. and there are only five million people here so it's a little easier to manage mm. um, but still um, I, I see i'm not a I'm not a political Person in the sense that I don't sort of loyally sit on one side. I think that's a very weird thing to do. Yeah. Um, because if you if you are loyal to one side, to me that's religious thinking. That means that you're going to be loyal to that side no matter how bad or good the side acts. Exactly. And I think you've I think you've got that a little bit in the states right now, where a lot of Republicans are really really nice, great people, and they're loyal to their side. And now they've got a dithering idiot running the country, yep. and and they're finding it really difficult because they don't want to vote Democrat.
2: Exactly.
1: Um, they they feel they need to be loyal but they know deep down that trump shouldn't be there
2: exactly
1: and so anyway i've, I've always been the sort, sort of person that would just go person to person subject to subject rather than thinking idealistically yeah um yeah. and jacinda ardern um i had nothing against her but i also wasn't her biggest fan i was okay. just sort of neutral i was neutral i thought she yeah. was fine you know yeah. um but the way she's handled this um whole thing this year I've actually I I've got a, a very um I've got a renewed respect for it
2: yeah uh, was
1: decisive and and when she she gave an uh, a speech towards the beginning of lockdown and she said this is happening no apologies and I thought right on
2: <laughs> <laughs> there's well, a leader yeah, yeah exactly no that's really that's uh, just so fantastic yeah um I, you, you released uh, an album in 2019, um, yes. Hustle Bustle, Let, let's, we'll, let's talk about that and then I want to come back and talk about the podcast that you launched, I know that, that predates it, that launch in, in, in 2016, um, mm. but share with us about last year's album because you shared about how this is a time where you're thinking about migrating to, to the states and... Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah well well i stepped
1: out of the whole thing after letters of the future um the industry got harder and harder and harder um spotify came to new zealand in 2012 which was the same year i was recording letters to the future and i could see very clearly how bad this was going to be and i and i've been i've unfortunately i've been right um the you know the streaming platforms have decimated the music industry mm. and i just lost my my um, mojo at that point i just thought well there's no point you know it's over i just i fell into a pretty dark place about it and Mm. I thought I'll just focus on playing live and being a session musician and doing that stuff um which you know you can argue either way whether that was the right move but that was the move I made at the time and you know uh a number of years passed and I thought why do I need to hang this up you know I mean Mm. you you don't make music just to make money or become something you make music because the process of making music is its own reward yeah so why do i need to why do i need to stop doing it just because streaming sucks you know right right. um and i had this realization actually a few years earlier and then began writing again and and then i thought well i want to make this album i want to make the album i was trying to make before that i never quite managed to figure out (laughs) and so Wow. I went the other way. Instead of inviting a, a lot of musicians to contribute and, and instead of taking that approach, I thought, no, I'm going to make this my album. So there's okay. there's there's a very limited number of people on the record. Yeah. Um, one of my um, music partners, a guy called Dan, who's a great bass player, um, he he uh, has a big voice on the record. Um, but I was able to spend a lot more time really developing the songs because by now I'd, I'd gotten myself more independent as well. I mean, I I now have a little... Home recording studio, and I I don't have to go to big studios anymore. So I can sort of take my time and do it properly myself. Um, And I've also, as my career has expanded, I've 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 got really really good people in my life now. Good, you know, great engineers and producers, great musicians, and so um, I can I can pull a team together really fast, and it'll be a quality team, you know. Um, And so this fourth record, hustle bustle, was a project of love. And um, I, for, for, you know, whatever people think of it, I mean, it's had really good, really good reviews, but um, uh, I think it's, it's, it's an album that um, I think best, out of all of my albums, because we jumped over one as well. My second one is called um, Say What You Mean. Um, out of all of my albums, th- this one actually I feel best represents me as a person. So I feel like I got closest than I've ever gotten to an artistic statement.
2: That's really great, and say what you mean came out in two thousand nine. That's right. Yeah, apologies. Uh, some of the <laughs> dates and discussion topics got got merged, but okay. um, there's a
1: lot of stuff on the list.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is, it's great what you just shared about um, an artistic it being an artistic achievement and one that you found very fulfilling.
1: Yes, that's right. It was. I think it was the first time I finished a record, and I thought, yeah, that's it. That's great. You know what I mean? Because the other ones, I'm
2: like, is it is it good? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> in some ways, when you describe that uh, about the earlier albums, what came to mind was that uh, you know an artistic needs to continu- an artist needs to continuously be hungry. Yes. Um, and it's uh, I remember in studying literature, somebody said that um, the worst thing you can do for a young writer is to give them everything they want. Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> no, I think about the sub. I think about the subject quite a lot
1: uh, of um, whether you should encourage kids or discourage kids. You know, getting into the arts and and the arts. I mean, you know, it's a really tough time in the world to be trying to make a living from the arts. I mean, even when I was starting out, it was it was hard. But it was easier back then. But it's still hard. You know, now it's just mental. Um and and I don't know whether you should encourage kids or discourage kids. I think you should just give them the tools and give them the truth and give them the information and let them decide themselves because my theory is if someone's gonna do it, they're gonna do it anyway. You know? And and the the people who have that internal drive, they're not I mean, you can tell them yay or nay. That doesn't matter to them, you know. When I was a teenager, if someone said you can do it, I'm like, Cool, I don't care what you think, I'm doing it anyway. (laughs) Right. And if someone said you can't do it, I'm like, Shut up, I'm doing it anyway, you know. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, it's such a great point that, that you've raised. Um, I just want to be mindful of your time. It's, uh, uh, we're, we're kind of hitting on an hour here. Um, mm-hmm. but share with us, uh, in, in 2016, teaming up with Bobby Kennedy and launching, uh, don't give up your day job, which is yes. really superb advice for anyone. Uh, <laughs> thinking about anything on the entertainment side um <laughs> yeah. but uh share with us the inspiration danny What? why a podcast um why with bobby and um okay well bobby kennedy
1: uh was a drummer in a uh, one of the most successful bands in new zealand history called Op shop oh, yeah. and so they had experienced um in our local scene they'd experienced the top of the industry and I had, I guess I had sort of fluctuated from, you know, the bottom to the middle or sort of mm-hmm. thing. I, I, I was more of the um, the working musician in the background, you know. Um, and so we had this really interesting, like we had a lot in common and we hit it off immediately as people. Um, but we had quite different stories because I'd really like worked my ass off and really grafted, you know, my whole career together. Um, and and those guys, they had worked hard, obviously, and they'd done very well, um, but they sort of got to the top pretty quickly mm. and um so we had very different stories but we had a lot of com- things in common and bobby and i were touring together um back then and often we would end up in conversations in the van or in the hotel or whatever after the show or before the show and would just start like musicians do we just start comparing notes and telling war stories and the whole thing and and i said to him one day man you know these conversations are the most interesting and informative conversations that musicians always have and no one ever gets to hear them. Yeah. And when we do when we do interviews on T V and, and that sort of thing, they're usually uh, you know they're usually a bit stiff. And they're usually practiced, and we've got our we've got our go to answers because we're usually trying to sell something, you know. Right. And you don't yeah. and you don't want to say like someone says how's the tour? You go brilliant. Tour is great. Yeah. yeah fantastic. it yeah. no hey, been really well. As, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. and then you and then you the mics get turned off and you go man the tour is such. No one. <laughs> exactly and off. You know, know, lost lost it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so uh, right I, <laughs> and, yeah. And then Bobby said, well, I, it's funny you say that. He said I've been thinking about making a documentary, trying to produce a documentary called Don't Give Up Your Day Job. Um, which is which is about showcasing the reality of working in the arts. Um, but he said, I, I've been struggling to get a network to buy it. Um, I've been struggling to find people to partner with. You know, it's a, it's a big job. It's yeah. an expensive job. And I said, well, what if you made it a podcast? And he said, well, why would we do that? And I said, well, well straight away, it doesn't cost anywhere near the same amount of money yeah. to produce. Yeah. Um, you don't have to get anyone to buy it because you can release it independently. And not only that, but if you make a documentary that's let's say an hour, an hour and a half long, you have to have a limited number of guests and you have to limit the point of the documentary. You have to have a, you know, two or three themes, right? Um, so you've immediately capped the potential of the idea and you've put all this huge amount of work and money into something that is now gonna be highly limited. And also it's gonna be irrelevant a month later because you're gonna document that one time in history. So. Whereas if you do a podcast, you have an open-ended number of guests, you have an open-ended number of com- uh, of topics, and you can stay relevant as history moves, which has happened to us because we started the podcast before Trump got voted in. <laughs> um, you know, we, we the number of things and were going on in the, the um, New, New Zealand music industry back then. You know, at, at that time it was current. Now, of course, the podcast is existing through this year's stuff, mm-hmm. right. um, and. And, uh, and, and that's why we did it. He went, yeah, that's a great idea. So we started it. And the the general loose theme is to give listeners um, uh, an insight to the reality of a career in the arts. That's great. Yeah.
2: You've done 97 interviews. You've uh, been running yeah. it for about four years. It's uh, it's really incredible and uh, a really diverse range of, of guests. Um, what has been the best anecdote anyone shared on your podcast? Ooh, that's a tough question.
1: I'm getting to the point now, because of course we've actually recorded a lot more episodes and and we haven't quite released some of them yet. Um, I'm getting to the point now where my memory is starting to melt. Yeah, And uh, I remember some of the points and some of the lessons and things, but I can't remember Um uh, my, like sometimes friends or, or people I'm talking to say, "Oh, I remember that conversation you had with that person," and I think, "What?
2: Did I? Was it me?"
1: But I, I, I do. I mean, it's not so much an anecdote, but it was a really great point that Scott Page said on a very early episode. I think he might have been like episode five or something. You know, um, Scott Page is a, is a saxophonist who played with uh, Supertramp and Pink Floyd and Toto mm, and people like that. Sure. Um, he's now uh, passionately into business and promoting, um, business mindedness into the arts, which is this big thing these days. And he said, uh, he said, look, you don't want to try and get a million fans. You want to try and get a thousand fans that engage. Mm. And he said, what do you, what what do you mean? And he said, well, if you're, if you're trying to get a million fans and I want to make millions of dollars and millions of fans and you, you you're just thinking in this really unrealistic way. That's that's almost impossible to achieve. But he goes, if you can get a thousand consistent fans that will engage with what you're doing, then you've got a business.
2: Yeah.
1: You you can actually turn that into ticket sales. You can turn that into mm-hmm. yeah. merchandise sales or whatever, and you can grow from there. And you can grow it up to two thousand fans and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was such sensible,
2: yeah. you
1: know, pragmatic advice. Um, again if you work in music you don't get good advice very often <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is why I think people like Scott page and hopefully our podcast and more like more stuff like that out there needs to be out there
2: you know yeah yeah well it's yeah. a great um, service that you're providing it's uh, very inspiring for people in the industry and 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 for those outside of the industry to see a little bit about uh, what it's about so I, I, I'm, I'm Thrilled that you're doing it it's, it's thank really, you and,
1: yeah. and you know that theme has evolved because we we had that idea for the theme in the early days that we we probably pushed a little harder mm. and then i realized along the way you don't have to because yeah. if you're if you have these people on your show they just tell the stories anyway exactly so yeah. these days I, I don't some some guests come on and we just talk about absolutely just random <laughs> we just waffle on for an hour like we're at the pub
2: mm-hmm.
1: and people listening they still get things out of it but uh, yeah, yeah I've, I, I guess I've realized now that you don't need to go so what do you think about business so what do you <laughs> think about this you don't have to lead them their, their stories tell you what you need to know yeah so now it's oh, so more true. relaxed and organic you know so true. yeah
2: well that's excellent <laughs> Danny, this has been such a great conversation. I really appreciate the honesty with which you've answered uh, the questions, and uh, really appreciate the sincere approach you take to your life and the authentic approach you take, and and you're pursuing your passions. And it's just—it's very thoughtful. Um, It's really superb.
1: And like I say, I um, love—I love what your podcast stands for. Thank you. I I think um, we often give a voice to 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 people who we see as winners and and we don't necessarily track um the way that they got there if that makes sense Uh, something i was thinking about earlier was uh, and maybe this is a point um something i was thinking about earlier is how we we judge people's success comparatively as in one person to the next person so we say well this person's got $10,000 and the next person's got $12,000. So the next person's obviously more successful. Right. But what we don't necessarily look at is how they got there. Exactly. And maybe person B was given $10,000 by their parents and they just made another couple grand. And yet person A inherited a debt and actually paid off $40,000 and right. then made $10,000.
2: Right. So the,
1: the distance of getting there is what I I think a far more important version of success And I think um, people who get through difficult stuff in their life, which of course is the theme of your podcast, um, to me, that's far more interesting than how many houses they own.
2: Yes. I couldn't agree with you more, Dan. And I'm so thrilled to hear you say that. Yeah. That's exactly the orientation. I'm so thrilled that you get it.
1: Yeah,
2: (laughs) I feel seen, I feel heard.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there you go. You don't need to write any
2: songs. (laughs) (laughs) I think the world's in a better place if you do the songwriting. (laughs) 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 No, this has been a really phenomenal conversation. Uh, I really felt like I connected with you on on many levels. And again, I really appreciate all that you're doing and and the efforts. And and, uh, I wish you decibels thank you very much <laughs> I love as that as a musician I had a feeling you'd like that one <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do like that I might steal that one
2: yeah please do <laughs> I'm sure I borrowed it from someone too <laughs> yeah
1: exactly no I, I agree I think we've connected great I've I love being. Um, i loved being on this and I really appreciate Excellent. you having well, me here so. and
2: I will be championing your uh, migrating to LA because uh, I, lo- I love the fact that we'll be neighbors and, yeah uh, We'll certainly get together and drink French red wine. Absolutely. And, uh, um, please bounce, bounce song ideas off me. Um, I, I'd love to react to them. And Definitely. Uh, yeah. Definitely. And yeah. We'll talk about business as well. <laughs> Definitely.
0: Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.